Hi, I'm Steve Maletto from the Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. To explain open middle, I think it's worth just considering that problems have beginnings, middles, and ends. And a lot of times people say, oh, I love open-ended problems. But I think what they really like are open middle problems. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. Hey, Leader of Learning, welcome back for episode 56 of the Leader of Learning podcast. I have another great episode in store for you this time as our guest Robert Kaplinsky and I talked about a few different themes and topics in our conversation. First, we spoke about the reason why actually I became familiar with Robert's work in the first place, which is the hashtag Observe Me movement that came out a couple years ago and really inspired this movement of teacher intervisitations and informal observations between and among just teachers. The idea is similar to and related to pineapple charts, where teachers invite other teachers in to observe them and watch them teach, and other teachers can feel free to go and pop in to other classrooms and watch teachers in action, and I'm just really all for that. As a matter of fact, it coincides with me as an instructional coach right now at my school creating and starting to implement a system of learning walks in my department where I'm going to facilitate teams of teachers going and popping in on other teachers and learning from them. And the reason why I support that kind of protocol so much is because I know that there are great things happening in the classrooms around my school, and I want other teachers to be able to see that and learn from that as well. The other thing that Robert and I talk about is his passion for math education And this new concept and book that he has written on the concept known as Open Middle. And I don't think I'm really going to do it much justice, but here's what I will say about Open Middle before we hear from Robert is that it reminds me of the term productive struggle. If you're like me, you appreciate it when students grapple with problems, grapple with aspects of their learning that will inspire new learning or to go deeper in prior learning. And so I'm eager for you to hear Robert and his explanation of open middle math. He's just written a book on the concept, and I think it's a pretty different way of thinking about how to implement math instruction. So without further ado, here is Robert Kaplinsky. Very excited to bring on as a guest in this episode, Robert Kaplinsky. And I was introduced to Robert, uh, I want to say a few years ago, really through the hashtag Observe Me movement. But uh, he's got a lot going for him at, at this point and with a book that was just released and, and lots that he's doing in the uh, math education world, especially. I thought it'd be great to talk to him. So Robert, welcome. And if you could just introduce yourself before we get going here for the listeners. Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Hey, thank you for having me. My name is Robert Kaplinsky. I have uh, been in education since 2003. Uh, I've been a math teacher and science teacher, uh, but mainly mathematics and into a math coach role, supporting math teachers in uh, secondary mathematics. Now I'm working on my own as a consultant, 
and also uh, president of a, a company called Grassroots Workshops that provides professional development for teachers. I live in Long Beach with my wife and my son, and uh, it's just been a, a fun experience really trying to learn more about uh, how people learn. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I do a lot of that myself as a coach, and um, it is really what drives me at this point in my career. And uh, we just spoke briefly off the air about I'm, I'm finishing up my dissertation process, and that's so much of what it focuses on is adult learning and how to um, how to really shift mindsets in classroom teachers. And so I appreciate you brought that up and you have that coaching experience too. And it sort of segues me into what I wanted to start this interview off with is talking to you actually about the Observe Me movement, because I got to know that as fairly early on as an instructional coach. And I really appreciated it because uh, whether teachers were looking at it in the sense of like a pineapple chart or um you know, I, I kind of created this form with QR codes that teachers could use. But mm -hmm. where did that come from? How did that become as big a thing as it became? And and um, I guess if you could go back to like the why, why was why did that happen? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's funny in a sense that it should even exist and that it should even be remarkable. Like, so there's something that resonates with teachers when they see like, hey, someone's welcoming me into my room uh, to to observe them, and the fact that that's even a thing, like the fact that we're surprised when we see someone welcoming us into our room, I think speaks volume about really how compartmentalized uh, education has become. Uh, it began, I saw a, a tweet from uh, a friend named Heather Cohn, and she had shared a tweet of someone just saying a simple sign like, hey, come in, here's what I'd like feedback on. And it got so many retweets and likes, and I was, I was just shocked. And I thought, like, there's something to this, right? And, and I really wanted to systematize this idea of uh, first off, welcoming people, but then being very specific about how you want feedback. Because I think uh, uh, observe, observations are really like a, a four-letter word in, in education. Usually it's something that's done to you. You don't really have a lot of control. And it's really something evaluative, uh, as opposed to something where there is not necessarily one person with power or one person uh, who's being examined, but really that it's a mutually beneficial opportunity where uh, the person observing is learning just as much as the person who is teaching and is getting feedback from really another set of eyes. Like I'd hope, I mean, in, in the best case scenario, I'd love there to be, you know, 20 sets of eyes in a room watching every little detail and helping me become the best possible teacher. But in reality, I mean, we're so overwhelmed with things to do. It just doesn't happen. So that's really the, the foundation was just a, a way to systematize uh, uh, observations and getting feedback and normalizing this process. You know, it's really, and, and I agree wholeheartedly that you said that it almost shouldn't really be a thing in the first place. And you use the word compartmentalized, you know, uh, it's timely that we're talking about this actually, because as a coach and, and being in my first year at my school, I'm quite literally in the last couple of days trying to bring about a system of teacher inner visitations. Now, um, my role in the school is really to coach just the teachers in the ELA department. So right now, that's that's going to be my focus. I ideally, it'd be great if we could make this more school wide. But um, you know, setting up a system where teachers can visit each other and. Uh, you know, I agree with you when you say that you as a teacher become better and, and stronger uh, when other, you know, you have 20 pairs of eyes on you, other teachers are watching you. But be, I don't know about you, if you would agree with this as a coach and having spent almost half my career now as a coach and, and being out of the classroom, visiting other teachers uh, regularly. I have learned so much and I appreciate what each teacher individually brings to the table. So 
one of my goals is to get teachers to just watch other teachers and to learn and, you know, pick up tips and tricks that maybe they never considered before. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was awful in my first years of teaching. I had, I mean, I really didn't even know how bad I was until I saw other teachers teach and thought, oh, okay, that's what I should have been doing. And I, and I think that really you just don't know until you see what other teachers are doing. And, you know, there'll be some things you're like, yeah, I'm glad I'm not doing that. But they'll also be like, wow, I had never considered doing this. And really, until you see that, you just don't know. It's like eating in the same restaurant every day. Until you go to other restaurants, you just don't know what else there could be. Yeah, you know, again, I'm going to mention this. uh, You know, I've said it multiple times here on the show. A a fairly recent guest on the Leader of Learning podcast, George Kuros in the Innovator's Mindset, said basically at this point in the year, you know, whatever year the Innovator's Mindset came out, 2016, but even now in 2019, like, if you are isolated, or as you mentioned before, the word uh, compartmentalized, like that's a choice. You're choosing not to step out of your own classroom, not to watch how other teachers do things. And I'm going to go out on a limb and get a little bit blunt here and saying like, that's wrong. You know, you, you can't do that anymore. You can't just live in isolation. But that, that's just my opinion. Uh, and, and I'm going to stick to it. But yeah, no, I, I really think that whether it's observe me, pineapple charts, or just you know, an old fashioned invite where someone says, Hey, why don't you come watch my, watch my lesson? I think there's lots of value for both the visitor and the visitee. Yeah. I mean, I think it leads to really some deep conversations about why it's not happening. Like for example, if you're an elementary teacher and you've got no prep, well, that's, that's possibly why. Um, if you've got a culture where people don't really feel safe, where they feel like they're being judged or if they're, you know, not good enough, they're going to be let go. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that it can happen. Uh, and I think that really it speaks to bigger systemic issues that uh, are, are worth discussing as a, as a group. Yeah. And I, I think you just mentioned, too, something that, that tipped, you know, made my mind go uh, toward my dissertation, which is really studying how leaders can impact um, and, and inspire growth mindset in teachers. And if you have teachers who are uncomfortable or that they feel inferior or they're insecure about something, that's a fixed mindset right there. And and it could be a cultural thing that a leader says, you know, I need to fix that. And it might not be as simple as setting up uh, a intervisitation schedule, uh, but there might be some deeper seated reasons uh, why it's not happening or why it's it's been difficult to at least start at some point. Yeah, I mean, definitely, there, there are deep conversations. I mean, even one thing I think is very interesting about uh, the Observe Me is, is the creation of the feedback goals. I'll, I'll get specific. Um, I, I see three levels of, of goals often. The first level, someone just putting uh, the bullet point of student feedback, or, or let's say student engagement. And so they say, like, I want feedback on student engagement. But that that might make sense to the teacher saying that, but what does that mean to the observer? Like, does, if everyone's sitting there with their hands crossed in front of them and quiet, is that engagement? Uh, if, if everyone's talking, is that engagement? The, the next level is, are my students engaged? And now it's a yes or no kind of fixed mindset question. And, and the reality is no one's going to want to say no. So then they put yes, but either yes or no is not particularly helpful. And then framing it more as how can I improve student engagement? Well, that's a growth mindset framing. And now it presumes, it begins by presuming it can get better and it invites and makes it welcome for more changes. And I, and I think it's really indicative of the fact that just teachers are not used to having to even ask for feedback because it's never something that they really are seeking because uh, oftentimes it's evaluative and not really something that they have control over. Yeah, no, that, that, those are great points. And um, 
Again, I appreciated the Observi movement, whether it was totally necessary or not, or whether it needed to happen. It did. And, and I think um, if it inspired even a few people or a few dozen people, um, but I have a feeling it inspired a lot more to to kind of open up their doors and, and welcome people in and, and feel more comfortable visiting each other. So I think that's great. I do want to switch subjects here a little bit, though. And I'm going to preface this by saying I'm really not a math guy. Um, I did pass a... Is that, a, a, is that it, a growth mindset comment or a, a fixed well, mindset comment? That's a, that's a great question. I did pass uh, doctoral level statistics. So when I say I'm not a math guy, I mean, I can do math and I can learn math okay. Uh, I'm just not used to teaching it. So I'm going to sort of go into these next questions with a growth mindset and and basically pretend like I know little to nothing about math and whatever open middle is and just literally just ask you generally what is this project and website that you have going on here open middle i see that it says math problems that replace worksheets so i'm all for that whether it's uh you know going digital or or really just pushing uh teaching and learning into this this next uh phase of of student-led and student ownership but open middle explain that yeah i mean let me let me begin by saying that like I was a math robot. I could do math, but I, I didn't have any freaking clue what I was actually doing. And I didn't even realize that I didn't know what I was doing until I was much older. Uh, I, should, I should preface this also by saying I got a, a bachelor's in mathematics from UCLA. So I can do math, at least on paper, but I didn't know that I didn't understand math. I didn't understand why it worked. I didn't even know that there was a reason. So I come from a place of knowing what I don't want. And so I'm constantly looking for tools and resources and strategies that will help me get, uh, really avoid creating more students who are like me. To, to explain open middle, I think it's worth just considering that problems have beginnings, middles, and ends. And a lot of times people say, oh, I love open-ended problems. But I think what they really like are open middle problems. And I'll give you a, an example to explain it. Uh, consider like a reality TV show like The Amazing Race. Uh, I'm going to spoil every single episode for you. Guess what? Every single season begins with lots of contestants, and every single season ends with one of those teams winning. That's it. Every single season's like that. The reason that you stick around and the reason it's won over 13 Emmys is because you want to see what happens in the middle. And I think that really having that middle open is the key. So again, the, the beginning is closed, the end is closed, it's the open middle. And I think that that's essentially what is happening in mathematics. Um, we've created problems where every child begins with the same problem and every child ends with the same answer, but the middle is open, which allows for a lot of different strategies. And so what winds up happening is essentially kids get the same answer, but they solve it using totally different ways. And it leads to really interesting strategy conversations like uh, which strategies were more efficient or which strategies uh, were better represented visually. And, and everyone has an entry point, but everyone also sees what could be. And so you see kids really learning from each other and having the conversations that you wouldn't normally expect to have in a math class. And so that's really what I love about Open Middle and the website openmiddle.com, where we have like hundreds of free problems from kindergarten through calculus. That's awesome. And uh, I'm going to actually take a just a little bit of a tangent here, and I'll get back to the Open Middle point in a minute. But let me ask you a question. I've been dying to ask uh, sort of a a respected math teacher, this question, when I hear people say, I hate common core math, I always think to myself, like, that doesn't make sense. Isn't common core math just math that is aligned to common core standards? 
uh, we're not really asking kids to do math differently, are we? I don't. I, how would you answer that? I don't. I have no idea. I, I have a few thoughts on this. Um, I think one important thing is that people have a hard time separating what they are familiar with with what's truly best. Like I have a deli that I went to as a child, and I and I'm impossible. It's impossible for me a Cantor's Deli in L.A. It's what I think deli food should taste like, and it doesn't matter what other delis taste like. That's what I, I measure it by. And I think people do the same thing for their mathematics experience. The way they learned must have been good enough for them, so it must be the same for other people. And I think that that clouds it. Uh, I think on uh, the point you make is really valid. Like when people change to different standards, like do you think like some states are not teaching subtraction, or some teach states are not teaching like factoring? Like they're the same standards, people. Like what else yeah, could yeah. there be? Like by and large, it's very much the same. Uh, like Common Core has this standard about. Uh, it's math practice three, construct the viable argument, where they want students to be able to uh, convince others by using kind of mathematics to explain their reasoning. Like, are there some states that don't want kids to do that? Uh, there, Really, when you look at it, you can map all the standards to one another. Like Arizona, for example, does not have common core, but they have the exact same standards word for word. So uh, I, I think by and large, I, I could get more into it. I don't know if there's time for it, but the, the reality is that there's a disconnect between the way we actually do math in our heads and the way we do math on paper. Like I'll give you a very simple example. If I ask you to do 99 plus 46 in your head, I imagine all your listeners are done. But if you were mm. doing that on paper, you put up a nine and a nine and a four and a six underneath, you would add the nine and a six and carry the five and you're still working on, on paper. But if you're doing it in, in your head, you think, well, 99 is basically a hundred. So I'm gonna take one from the 46 and make a hundred plus 45. Now that's really, really easy to do in your head because in your head, you can work with tens and hundreds very easily. But if you wrote down what I just said, that you put the 99 and the one together to make 100 on paper, it would look like, what the hell is going on in this math? This common core thing is awful. So there's a difference between how we think about math in our heads and how we do it on paper. And I think that's a lot of the drama that comes from it. Just this reality of the way we think about math may not be what people are used to seeing on paper. I get that. And uh, actually, leading back into this open middle thing, what, what I appreciate about your explanation there of Common Core and, and all that is that the open middle concept, then it doesn't matter necessarily what the standard is, or it doesn't matter how uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to say it doesn't matter how it, it gets taught, but it, what matters in these problems is that students are coming up with some way of exploring how to get to the end result, right? Like you said before, a, a beginning, a middle, and end. There is an end. There is a right answer. There is a wrong There are lots of wrong answers. But how they get to that, uh, that right answer at the end is what it's all about. And that open middle allows for exploration. Um, you know, we talk about like problem-based learning. I think this lends itself really well to that. Is that what you're going for here? Yeah, I mean, I think some, there are some attributes about open middle problem that are shocking to people uh, in, in a positive way. Uh, the first one I think is what really interesting is that kids freaking love doing them. Like if you go check out, if you're on Twitter, here's a hashtag I challenge you to check out. Why open middle? Just W-H-Y-O-P-E-N-M-I-D-D-L-E. Uh, I'm sharing tweets from teachers who are saying things like, my kids, uh, they can't stop doing it, that they don't want to go to recess, that they ask uh, if I can do it more on the weekend, um, that it, it's a, a showdown. Like that, I've never heard kids talking like this. Um, so the kids love them. You wouldn't think that, right? No kids are excited for worksheets. I should also, again, like you said, each problem has so much embedded practice that they might do a whole worksheet's worth of practice in one problem. 
they also help teachers spot hidden misconceptions. Like we've all had kids who appear to know what they're doing, but when we take the test and we see the results, we're like, oh my God, they didn't understand this. Imagine you had x-ray vision glasses where you could see inside those kids' heads. These problems on open middle are like that. And I think that really it helps you really scaffold these problems so that even your struggling students have a way to enter in, but that your most uh, talented students are, are really not bored. So they're really this, just something new that I don't think a lot of teachers are familiar with, but I hope they will become more familiar with. Now, I'm going to, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm pushing back here, but I think what you just said was your most talented students aren't bored. But if I could kind of play devil's advocate, I guess, or just out of sheer curiosity, does this then uh, provide any extra frustration maybe for students who feel like they need sort of concrete steps or explanations for how to get to the answer versus kind of... um, I don't even know the right word, sort of a a process that is left a little bit more up to their interpretation and their exploration. Is it more frustrating for them? So, so there are some, there is structure involved. Um, but I will say that like, if you have come to see math as my teacher gives me problems, I follow these steps in my notes and then I blindly repeat these processes until I get the answer. Uh, yeah, it's going to be frustrating for you because you're not going to be able to be a good robot. Uh, but if, you like, but what, what happens is that kids start to realize that they don't understand, like it's something that they should be able to do, but they don't understand it quite right. And so they keep trying and keep trying and they start to build that concept understanding. And kids always come around to loving these problems. Uh, so I wouldn't, and I, I think maybe if I could revise what I said, it's not the, the kids that are your high flyers, they just find endless challenge. And so it's not that even that they're bored, that they're not bored, but that they just, the more they try, the harder they, they find to get these optimal best answers, like find the greatest product. And they're trying and trying and they're trying to figure out the best ways to do it. And so it's like this endless challenge for your, your highest flyers. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to me, and and I'm all, I'm a very big proponent of productive struggle. You know, I, I do think that students, especially students nowadays, where just everything is like right at their fingertips and right at their uh, disposal, they need a little bit of that, you know, grappling, and especially in math with these problems, like you say, that have a beginning and an end. But sometimes getting there is not only challenging, but just like you're all over the place and there are so many ways to solve a problem that they may need to wrestle with it a little bit first. So I, again, I appreciate that very much. And um, again, before we started recording, we talked a little bit about uh, our sons who are around the same age. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but my son has very little patience um, and, and he does want everything to be right at his fingertips and to happen immediately. And it's like, you know what, sometimes buddy, you got to like be bored, you know, learn how to be bored or learn how to just, uh, be by yourself or figure out a problem without just asking for help right away. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I digress, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about that. So in the last couple of minutes that we have together here, I know that you actually just uh, published a book and it has this open middle math concept involved in it. So if you could please uh, explain what that book is all about and where our listeners could go and find it, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much. So I, I just published a book called Open Middle Math, Problems that unlock student thinking for grades six through twelve, and really, if, if this is of interest to you, uh, it takes you through the whole process of uh, how do you pick a problem, how do you prepare to use the problem, how do you facilitate the conversation around it, what do you do when things don't go as you expect, 
uh, and even how to make your own problems. And so I really, I wrote it conversationally. Like I, I don't, and, and really I wrote the shortest possible book I could write. Uh, there's no secondary math teachers wishing for longer books. Mm-hmm. And it really just takes you to that whole process. So you feel like you've got a coach sitting by you, um, really walking you through so you feel comfortable with it. And you can uh, get it from a lot of places. Um, the book is published by Stenhouse. So if you go to Stenhouse, which is S-T-E-N-H-O-U-S-E.com uh, and look for Open Middle, you'll find it there. That's great. Well, uh, congratulations on publishing that book. And, and uh, here's to success with the book for you and Stenhouse Publishers. Uh, you know, let, uh, let the teachers out there and, and the listeners know where else they could find you. So you mentioned stenhouse.com uh, for the book. You mentioned we already talked about the openmiddle.com. Uh, what about connecting with you on social media or anywhere else that our listeners can find you? Yeah, so my website is robertkaplinski.com. That's uh, Robert and K-A-P-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. That's my website where I have lots of blogs and stuff like that. I'm also Robert Kaplinski on uh, pretty much all the, the social media platforms. Uh, I also created a website called uh, grassrootsworkshops.com, which I'm trying to reimagine professional development. Like I think a lot of PD uh, is given to us in a way that it's we're supposed to kind of work around it. Like we're supposed to leave the classroom and write subplans and learn from someone we didn't choose and uh, on a topic that maybe we didn't pick. Uh, and so this really gives teachers more of that power back. And that's grassrootsworkshops.com. Excellent, Robert. Thank you so much. You know, again, uh, I became aware of uh, you at least a few years ago through the uh, the hashtag Observe Me movement. But uh, obviously, you've done a lot and you continue to do a lot in terms of not only um, math instruction, but just helping teachers and students get better and, and improving that teaching and learning process. So I thank you for that work. And uh, most importantly, I thank you for your time coming on here on the Leader of Learning podcast and, uh, you know, giving my listeners some of that amazing mathematical knowledge <laughs> and, uh, you know, pushing pushing our thinking really around uh, all the stuff that, that you've been working on for, for all these years in your career. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.